This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, what a beautiful passage today. Would you stand with me as we read God's word uh, together? The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's in chains in Rome at the time in prison. And he says this to them and to you and me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty of these words. Oh, wow. They're just life-changing. Help us to understand them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today with our, we continue with our series entitled Ephesians, Our Identity and Purpose. And today is entitled The Power of One. The Power of One. Again, in upward soccer, when you play on any kind of team, in this case a soccer team, there is the power of one if you work as one. And we'll look at that in just a minute. Adrian Rogers once told of a Spanish armada that was sailing off the coast of Florida. A hurricane struck and those ships were um, uh, laden with millions of dollars of gold and silver and the ships sank and nobody knew quite where for hundreds of years. And so some enterprising people, and it was always a big mystery, decided to begin to investigate. And so they looked in all the surveys and the history books and all those kinds of things to try to determine where the ships were when they were caught in the hurricane and sank because they had all that gold and they wanted to find the gold. And they did find it, by the way. Unfortunately for you and me, it's all, it's all been found. But here's what's significant. <clears throat> it's where they found the gold. Do you know where they found it? It was right by the beach. <laughs> they said that it was in such shallow water that just your average swimmer could have swam down and, and grabbed the gold. It was right under their feet, just under the sand of millions of swimmers throughout the decades. And they had no idea that gold was right there. It makes you want to go to Florida, doesn't it? Well... Paul has a treasure for us today. And he shares this treasure that we have in Christ and only in Christ. And that treasure is unity. If I were to think of all the, world, uh, all the words that this world struggles with and that this world is not, unity would be probably the top one. You know, that we are not unified as a species. Uh, unlike all the other animals in the animal kingdom, that have reached kind of an equilibrium, it eludes us. And we fight, we have wars, we kill, we murder, we disagree, we have bitterness and hatred toward one another, not only throughout the world in various countries, but in our own countries, in our own lives, sometimes even in our own families, and sometimes we're even at war with ourselves. There is a serious lack of unity in this world. It's hard for us to be unified to do anything. <clears throat> Mark Twain used to say this. He said that he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment to see if they could get along. A dog and a cat. To his surprise, they did. So he put in a bird, a pig, and a goat. 
And they too got along fine after a few adjustments. Then Mark Twain says he put in a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic, and soon there wasn't a living thing left. Sometimes unity is a foreign concept, even in our own churches, in the kingdom of God, and it is not intended to be that way. Here, Paul says, the church, the kingdom under Christ is to be one. Are you unified? Are we unified here at First Baptist Church? One day a pastor went to visit a member of his church and it was a member who had not been to church in some time, had not been to services in a while. And, and uh, so he asked if he could go visit him. And when he went to visit the man, the man was pleased that the pastor had came to see him. But they sat down by a hot fire. It was cold outside. And they drank hot cocoa in front of the blazing fire. And the, the pastor asked if the man it was okay because he hadn't seen him in so long. And the man said, yes, I'm, I'm just fine. So when he asked, why have you missed so many services? The man said this. He said, Reverend, I've been studying the Bible each and every day, praying in a very consistent manner. I've kept close to the Lord. Why would I need to go to a church building with a bunch of other people to study the word and to praise him when I can do that here at the house? And in fact, during this pandemic, we have unintentionally trained millions of Christians to stay home and watch it on TV. And so I understand the concern of the pastor. As they were sitting by the fire, the pastor and the man at the same time noticed a, a big clump of coal that was on the roaring fire fell off over onto the side. And no sooner had it fallen off over to the side that that red glowing ember turned dark black. It went out, or it seemed to go out. And quietly, the pastor, seeing that, went over with the tongs, took the piece of coal, put it back on the fire, and as soon as it was back in the fire, it just lit up and began to glow again. And the man understood. God did not make you to be separate. He made you and I to be one in Christ Jesus. It's hard to have a marriage if you never see each other. It's hard to have a relationship with your parents or your kids if you never see each other. And it's hard to have a relationship with God's people as one if you're never together. Now this morning, I, I, uh, I, I love this part about the pandemic. Not the separation, but the coming back together. I remember we were shut down for two months. It seemed like two years. We, we came back on Mother's Day of last year. And I remember just getting ready for that ser service. I was giddy. I was so excited just to come back together to see the church. And it's taken a long time because so many of our congregation have, have waited so long for the vaccine or they have not felt well or not been able to be here. And this morning, we have several here that I've not seen in a while. I'm so thankful. I'm always happy when I see Charles Tanner back there, Charles and Joanne. I always say Charles is the toughest guy I've ever met. <clears throat> He's the only person I've ever known that survived pancreatic cancer. Charles reminds me of Yosemite Sam. <clears throat> he just does. He's, he's too ornery to die, and I'm glad. <laughs> Sandy Schaefer is here this morning. Sandy, I'm so glad that you are here today. Susan's mom, Susan Slick's mom is here. Now, Susan Slick's mom's been on hospice, and usually if you're on hospice, the next time you go to church, well, uh, 
it's not on a Sunday morning service, and so I am so glad that she's here today. And so it just, it, it, there's something special about being together in God's house among God's people. So I'm so glad that you're here. There's this unity that's created. And I want to say this also, in the kingdom of God, our world doesn't get this, by the way. They totally don't get it. They never will get it. In the kingdom of God, unity is found in diversity. Unity is found in diversity. If you look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to skip down to verse 11. <clears throat> now, remember, Paul is talking about unity. One, 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 one. And then he says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, that is all kinds of works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now here's what he says. In the midst of our oneness, he says, I have called people to be all different kinds of people. Apostles, teachers, preachers, evangelists. And then he goes on, the purpose of that is to take people in God's kingdom, in God's church, and give them all kinds of gifts so that they, they uh, do all kinds of things so that they're built up in unity. One Christian author said it this way, well, before I get to that, it's kind of like playing soccer. So I'm going to use a soccer illustration this morning because not everybody on the soccer team, kids, can play the same position, just like in basketball and baseball or any kind of team sport. And I love team sports for that reason. It reminds us you're not in this by yourself. You have to work together with the rest of your team. And if you don't like your team and you're always fighting with your team, or maybe you're on the soccer field and everybody on your team think, you know, I want to be the goalie. And you just, every one of you just walk over to the goal because you're now all goalies. Well, you're going to lose the game <laughs> because you're not going to score any points because somebody's got to be kicking the ball on the field. You need different players for different purposes to work as one to win the game. I used to play soccer when I was a kid. I was the water boy. <laughs> that was an important uh, uh, position. Uh, didn't do a lot of soccer playing, but I had a lot of fun. You know, there have to be different people doing different things to accomplish one goal. And that's the way the kingdom of God is. Now, our world doesn't get unity. They say diversity but in fact, where they really struggle is they misidentify unity with uniformity. And there's a difference. Unity and uniformity are completely different. One Christian writer said it this way, unity brings together diverse people to use their own uniqueness in a group to accomplish a common purpose Uniformity pushes away those who are different, insisting on lockstep agreement and results. Unity adds people to the group. Uniformity divides people from the group. And I say that because in our own nation, in cultures throughout the world, but in our own nation, there are many who think that they, 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 are, they are the diverse people that just get along to go along, but in fact, no, there's no unity. They're demanding uniformity. 
During the Middle Ages, strict religious uniformity was required. But the church learned painfully, that's just not how we're built by God. We're not robots and we're not all programmed the same. We don't all have the same abilities, gifts, or talents. Today, we see communism, dictatorships, and terrorists that all together desire and require uniformity. Not unity, but uniformity. If there's anything I could say to the leader of Korea, North Korea, excuse me, right now, Kim Jong-il, I would say to him, just because you've got all of your people doing the same thing and living together in poverty doesn't mean that there's unity. It's just uniformity. Because that's what communism does, ultimately. And, and it's not political speech, but that's what communism does. It tries to get everybody be the same, 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 same. We weren't created that way. There doesn't have to be uniformity. There can be unity through diversity. And that's how God made us. You think about our church and our staff. Our church is very diverse. We've got some people here that are young and some that are old and some are really old. And some are really young. you got some people who are, well, middle class and some a little above and some a little below. I don't think we have any billionaires here. Most of those go across the lake. But, <laughs> but we're a diverse group. Some of us are white and some of us are other colors. My own wife is Filipino and I like that. I like that there's diversity in this group. Some of us are city people. I mean, you're from the city, you commute into the city and this is, this is way out in the boonies for you. This is an episode of Green Acres for you. <laughs> and then other of you, uh, your country, just as country as you can get. You're wearing boots right now and and your country, and we have a diverse group, and that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. He talks about unity here. We're one, 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 one. And then he says, but we're all different. We do different things, have different gifts for the purpose of our oneness. Christians throughout the world are so diverse. As Cherry and I have traveled, different languages, different cultures. We go into a church, sometimes we don't know what's going on because we don't speak the language, but we see the joy on their faces that they're singing the songs, whatever they're singing in their own language. And we are amazed at how God can take so many cultures that are so different, and yet we feel that we're at home when we're in those churches because we are with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, I would argue that true unity, however, is found only in Christ. True unity is found only in Christ. In fact, there's this shocking statement Paul makes in the book of Galatians. It's in chapter 3, verse 28. And he says this, and I mean this is shocking. Back in the first century and in the 21st century, he says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, lest anybody misinterpret that verse, he's not saying, men, that you're no longer men, and women, that you're no longer women. That's not what he's saying. When he says Jew or Greek, he means Jew and everybody else, Jew or not Jew. Because some of the believers in, in, in the churches, because they grew up Jewish, they kind of felt different than the Christians who grew up Greek or, or not Jewish. 
Uh, and he says, no. And there, there were people in their churches, some of them were slaves because they had slavery back then. You could sell yourself into slavery. Today, we just get credit cards. That's how we pay it off. We, we become slave to credit card. But they didn't have credit cards back then. And so if you wanted to buy a new camel or whatever, you could sell yourself or your family, thanks dad, into slavery to pay off the camel. And so he says, and so he had believers that were slaves and believers that were free. He says, in Christ, though, your identity is different. It's not about whether you're a slave or free, a Jew or a non-Jew, or even a man or a woman. It's not about that anymore. We have been made one in Jesus Christ. And the world just doesn't get that. This week, singer Demi Lovato, God bless her, she posted publicly and announced publicly that she was not, she had decided she was no longer a, a female, but she wasn't a male either. And she had, she said she had been discovering herself and received a revelation. Now, when you receive a revelation, there's usually somebody that's revealing something to you I think, I think she's implying it was a self-revelation. She revealed it to herself that she is gender fluid and she doesn't want to be called by the pronoun her anymore. She wants to be called what? They. She wants to be referred to as they or them. <laughs> okay, wow. Bless her heart. I don't mean to make fun of that, but my goodness. Listen, if only... I could help you understand your identity by changing a pronoun. Oh man, I'd do it right now. I'd call you all a walrus or a seal or a unicorn or whatever, a purple people eater, whatever you want to be called. If that would truly give you identity, but that's not your identity. I, I wish so badly that Demi could understand her identity, whether she knows it or not, her identity is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's what Galatians says. What does it matter? Jew, non-Jew, slave free, uh, uh, male or female. Because being a male or female won't get you to heaven. Being a slave or a free person won't get you to heaven. Being a Jew or a Gentile won't get you to heaven. It is Christ in him alone that will help us have purpose and meaning in our life. Oh, I'm so sad for her. She's going to so much trouble. And she will find no more peace now than she did before. More than a century ago, and I've probably told you this story, missionaries went to native tribes in the Philippines. Back then, before any electronics or Game Boys or computers or anything like that, they played other kinds of games and these missionaries played croquet. And uh, so they set up the croquet course there in front of where they were staying and th these native Filipinos, this tribe, uh, came around curious to see this unusual game. And so they invited some of the natives to play croquet with them. So they got their, I don't, I don't play croquet, but they got their hammer, their mallet, whatever they call it. What do they call it? Mallet? Okay, well, there you go. Got their mallet and they started hitting these little wooden balls through the little hoop things. And uh, again, I don't know what they're called. And uh, so it came time in the game where one of the natives was perfectly positioned with his ball and another native was positioned with his ball where the first guy could knock the second guy's ball out of the way and advance into the game. 
And so the missionary tried to explain the rules of the game. This is what you do. Now you got a chance. You hit his ball. You knock him out of the way so you can get through the hoop. And the missionary scratched his head. And he, or not the missionary. The native scratched his head. And he said, why would I do that? He said, well, so you can win the game. The missionary didn't get it. He didn't understand it was a tribal community. They hunted as a team. They survived as a team. They gathered as a team. What they did, they grew crops as a team because they understood that they all survived or none of them survived. So it wasn't a matter of, about who got the animal when they were out hunting. They worked together as a team to do it because they needed that teamwork. That's what they got. And so when they came to this idea, you can knock your opponent out and win the game, that was not winning at all to them. So the story goes that the first guy refused to do that. And instead, he'd knock his ball a little bit and they would gather around the next guy and they'd all urge him on. And slowly but surely, they got through all the hoops and everybody won. <laughs> because they had this concept of unity. In soccer, guys, you don't have to be a soccer genius to know not half the team wins and half the team loses. You all win or nobody wins. Whatever happens, happens together. There's unity in that. And this is how the church should be. We're a team. We're a part of God's one kingdom together. Now, unity in Christ, to have that, the key is peace. You may have noticed that in the passage. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. He, Paul says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Remember that. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I want to go to the end. You see the end game at the end, and we're going to work our way back to see what he says. First of all, it is all, make no mistake, you and I and this world exists for one purpose. And it's the last phrase, to the praise of his glory. Demi Lovato was made for the praise of the glory of God. Whether she knows it or not, that's why she exists. It's not to make records. It's not to be popular. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to change the pronouns of her, of her identity. That's not why she's here. She is here for the same reason. You're here and I'm here for the glory of God. He made us. And we are here for his glory. Now, if you back up, it says, uh, you, you receive the promised Holy Spirit that is in salvation, at the moment of salvation, we receive the Spirit of God within us. And it says that Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life guarantees our inheritance. Now he's not talking about gold or silver here on this earth, he's talking about heaven. That the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and that Holy Spirit does a guarantee that eventually we're going to find ourselves in heaven forever because of salvation. So he says that we were sealed with a seal. When are we sealed with a seal? It says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The believed part is found in the previous sentence. He says, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's the key word. Gospel means good news, the good news of your salvation. So we are created for the glory of God and having believed, we are receiving the Spirit of God, which guarantees our inheritance in heaven. And that comes through the gospel of our salvation. 
And then if you back up, he says, and you were also included in Christ. Now, kids, some of you are better soccer players than others. Some of you are really good soccer players. And some of you just tend to wander around the field. That was me. <laughs> you, you may qualify for water boy. You may not be a particularly talented soccer player. But I want you to know in the kingdom of God, you are always included. Because you are included in Christ Jesus and him alone. So how do we do that? How do you understand salvation? What does it mean when you talk about salvation? We can, we can be saved and having believed, we're then marked with the seal and having been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, we have an inheritance, a, a place in heaven for eternity to the praise of the glory of God. Our life mounts to something. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you seven quick statements. They're just boom, 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 right in a row. So listen closely. Number one, First of all, you need to understand that God created you in his image. You're not created in the image of an American. You're not created in the image of a white person, a black person, an Asian person, or any other person. You're created in the image of Almighty God. It's hard for us to look past what's in the mirror, but God does. You are made in the image of God. That is, you are created as a moral being. You are intended to last forever and you have the ability and the capacity to love beyond anything else in the animal kingdom, far beyond anything else. You have the ability to love and all the implications of that. God created you in his image. Number two, you were created because God is love. Make no mistake, God didn't make you because he was bored. God didn't make you because he wanted to hate you. God is love. And because God is love, he was compelled to create. Out of his love, he made you. God made you because he loves you, period. And in your, in your life, you need to remember that. Number three, you were created for God's glory. As, that said, as it says in this passage, ultimately everything is for the glory of God. Your life isn't about you. It's not about your identity of this world. It is about your identity in Christ. Your life isn't about you. It is about the glory of God. Number four. So how do we get saved? How, how do we become, how do we get this salvation that he's talking about? How do we bring God glory? How, how does that happen? Well, I can tell you very simply, it happens through a connection with him. We call that having a relationship. That is, God made you because he loves you and he wants you to love him back. It's that simple. Don't overcomplicate your, your purpose in this world. We're here to bring God glory the way that we bring God glory. He made us because he loves us and he wants us to love him back. That glorifies God. Now we do that through obedience to him. but We do it through salvation through Jesus Christ. But there's a problem. It's a big problem. And this is where Christ comes in to play. We can't love God back. We can't stay connected with God or be connected with God because we're separated from him and we're separated because of the sin that's in our life. You do bad things, I do bad things. You say bad things, I say bad things. Now, we may not use the same words, but the heart is the same. You know, preachers, we replace cuss words with other words that sound, you know, oh, googly moogly. <laughs> or darn, darn, darn. <laughs> 
We, we have our own words. We all mean the same thing. God knows our hearts. And I mess up just like you. And the Bible says we fall short. We just fall short of the glory of God. We're separated from him because of the things that we say and that we do and that we think. Not judging you. I'm just simply saying we mess up and so we're separated from God. And the problem is because we're separated from God, we can't fulfill our purpose in life of loving God back. And so now we're stuck. And not only are we separated from God in this world, we're separated from God eternally after we die. And God loves you. He doesn't want you and I to be separated from him. And so the problem is sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. And sin results in death always. The wages of sin is death. And then lastly, there is a solution. There is a solution. There's a problem. We call that sin. And because of that sin, we can't fulfill our purpose. But there is a solution. Romans 5, 8 says it this way. And bear with me, we're almost finished here. We're, we're coming into the, to the, to the end game, as they say. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I told you, death is the result of our sin. Your sin and mine, death is the result. But God doesn't want us to die in our sin. So he sent Christ, his one and only son, who died for our sin in our place on the cross. And so that's the solution. We call that mercy. Mercy is giving us better than what we deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. That's separation. But God doesn't want us to be separated. He doesn't want us to have justice. He wants to give us mercy. And that's through Christ. So the question is, how do you accept that mercy? How do we receive that salvation? Well, that brings us to my favorite verse, Romans 10, 9. It says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now he says, if you do this and you do this, you'll be saved. He tells you two things. And I love this about the Bible. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to spend your whole life going, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Is God happy with me or displeased with me? You don't have to wonder. It tells you if you do this and you do this, you will be saved saved. Point blank. Not my words. It's the words of God. That is 2,000 years old, that statement. How remarkable that in the 21st century, it applies just as much now as it did then. And so here are the two things he says. Number one, if you confess with your mouth, you know what that means. You're willing to tell people, and this is what you have to be willing to confess, that Jesus is Lord, that you don't follow after your favorite athlete anymore. You don't follow after your favorite singer anymore or your favorite actor anymore. You don't aspire to be like one of them. You aspire to be like Christ. You follow him. He's your Lord. And you're not afraid to say, you know what? I'm a believer in Christ. Kids, you're going to grow up. You're going to go to college and you're going to say you're stupid for believing that. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Don't you fall into the crowd of this world. Those kids are miserable. They're empty. I can tell you, apart from Christ, they're empty. Don't listen to them. Here, it says, if you confess with your mouth, you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm a believer in Christ. I don't care if it's popular or not. I don't care if it's politically correct or not. I don't care. I'm a follower of Christ. I believe it's true. And then he says, you have to believe in your heart one thing. And notice, he doesn't give a whole list. You've got to believe this, 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 this. I would have made the list a lot longer, frankly. But God won't keep it simple. He said, you need to believe one thing in your heart. You need to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. 
They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he came back to life. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I wasn't there. You got me. I don't have a picture or a video to show you, but I can tell you, I believe in faith that the Bible is true. And the Bible over and over and over again, testimony after testimony says, they saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And I believe that's true. We call that faith. You have to take a step of faith. There's no faithless Christianity. It just doesn't work that way. But if you'll believe in faith and the resurrection, and you come to this moment in your life where you say, you know what? I'm going to let Jesus call the shots in my life. My identity is through him. That makes sense to me. And God will save you, forgive you, redeem you, and give you eternity in heaven with him. Now, I have to leave you with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Our passage for today, here's the goal. <laughs> here's the goal. Listen to this. <clears throat> it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare pe God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And listen to this. Here's the end game. Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's that term, the fullness of Christ, that is so powerful. You know, I've got three kids. They're teenagers, and I don't have time to cook. And my wife is often at work, and so we go out to eat frequently. And, and that means fast food. <clears throat> you don't take three teenagers to an expensive restaurant. And, and hope to come out of there without a bank loan. But we go to fast food and, you know, when you go to fast food, they serve your drinks one of two ways. Either they, they fill up the cup for you and hand it to you with the lid on it, or they give you the cup and the lid and you go serve yourself. Now, I really prefer the second one. You know why? Because they're notorious. I guarantee they can't fill my cup the way I can. I fill it up. Well, I won't get my money's worth. My mom and dad taught me that. And so I go over to that drink machine and I fill it up. So when I put that lid on, the, the, the drink just squirts up out of the hole and I have to sip it because I don't want any air bubbles in there. I want to get my full money's worth. That's full. And that's what he's talking about here, that we are filled with a met to the measure of the fullness in Christ. You don't need me to be filled with a measure of what this world has to offer. You will be miserable but to be filled with, to the measure with the fullness of Christ, that's powerful. That's peace. That's unity. And that's what God has called you and I to have in our life. When I was a boy growing up at First Baptist Azel, every Sunday after the, at the end of the service, and we're not going to sing it, but we would sing a song, and it went like this. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirit with the Spirit of God, we are one in the bond of love. Now, here's the beauty. You don't have to attain oneness. You don't have to change your name or your gender or anything else. You don't have to do that. In Christ, you are already made one in Him. Now, our challenge is to keep the unity in Christ. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, I ask you, we ask you in the name of Christ, that for those here, if there are those here who have not given their life to Jesus Christ, I pray that you would reveal to them through your spirit, not from themselves, but from you, that there is no hope and no meaning and no purpose in life apart from you.
You made us for your glory. We are here for your glory in this world, in this life. And our purpose and our meaning in life is to give you glory by loving you back. It brings you glory to see your children love you. And Father, that's something we can all do here because of Christ. The truth is we are separated from you automatically because of the sin that's in our life. I wish it weren't that way, but it is. It's our choice, our decision separate us from you. Sin always separates, always. But you don't want us to be separated because you love us. So you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross in our place. So that by confessing and believing, we can be forgiven of our sins because of your mercy and become one with you in the kingdom for now and forever. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you right now. I'm going to pray a little prayer here in just a moment. Now let me be very, very clear. We call it a prayer of salvation because Romans 10.9 says you need to confess. That's something we do verbally. But there's no hocus pocus in the kingdom. There's no magic formula. There's no incantation. It's not intended to be that way. It doesn't mean anything unless you mean it in your heart. So I ask you to do this. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't mean it, don't pray it. Or to say it again, another way, if you pray it, mean it. Because God knows what's in your heart. Otherwise, it's just empty words. But listen to me, if you will pray right now, what I'm about to pray, you will surrender your life to Jesus. Confess your sins to him. Surrender your life. And you believe in your heart in the resurrection. God will save your soul. Change your life. And give you the meaning and purpose for which you were made to be. Would you pray this prayer with me? If you've never received Christ, and some of you may have been baptized when you were young, you didn't know what you were doing. Or maybe as an infant you were baptized, you didn't know what you were doing. But right now you know you've never really settled it with your God. Now is your opportunity, right here, right now. Would you quietly pray this prayer with me? Just follow after me. Just pray, dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross in my place for my sins. And I believe in three days he came back to life and he lives today. I surrender myself to you, Lord Jesus. From now on, I follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, nobody's looking around, all heads are bowed, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to come up and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation. Everybody's going to be praying. Nobody's going to be looking around. But it's important because you have to confess openly. Everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. He said it this way, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So you can't be secret Christian. 
So I challenge you to come down and simply say that. That's all you have to say. I'm not going to make you make a speech to everybody or anything like that. Everybody's going to be praying. You just come down and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. And I'll pray with you. Would you be willing to do that? To confess your Savior and Lord today. No one's looking around. Would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray, this invitation is for you. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist. And you want to come down and say, Pastor, I want to join. Or maybe you're already a Christian, but you've never followed through with believer's baptism. That's the first thing you need to do. First step you need to take. Come down and say, Pastor, I want to become a candidate for baptism. If God is leading right now, as you pray, right now you come.